Welcome! This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is The Dark Side of Social Media, delivered by LeVar McBride during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2014. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. here today to talk about a very dark topic and I hope that you know that the things that we'll be discussing um, a lot of them are from personal experiences of being in the field of criminal justice for many years as a state and federal probation officer I worked primarily with sex offenders and also with uh, victims of sexual abuse and so my uh, discussion with you today is going to be on a note of talking about the extremes. The fact that this problem is not something that just oftentimes stays at a, where it doesn't get to this level. But I, I oftentimes refer to the, the work that I do uh, with respect to this area of pornography and sexual deviancy as the Russian roulette, pornography is a Russian roulette to deviancy. And hopefully today our discussion will not necessarily put a dark side to uh, those that you know that have this issue, but understand the potency of pornography and the effect that it can have on an individual's life. So, even though it's the dark side of social media, we have wonderful things with social media. There are many times that I use social media in the classroom. I'm going to use it today. It's a very important part of our lives. It's something that we are not going to get rid of. It's going to be there. We just have to learn how to use it. We have to teach our children how to use it. We have to teach ourselves how to use it. And so hopefully today, through some of these examples, I'll be able to share with you some important things that I've learned as a practitioner in the field of criminal justice with respect to the use of pornography. This is my wife of 31 years and our first grandchild. And truly, Carol is my motivation. Oops. That would help. There she is. <laughs> Carol, if you'd stand just for a second. <laughs> this is my 31... After 31 years, uh, Carol knows that I will do surprise things all the time and have her stand up. And, and, but when I got into this work, uh, it's actually been more than 28 years now, um, I found out before we were married that my wife had been a victim of sexual abuse. I didn't really understand that. I was in my early 20s, and I'd heard of it, and I knew that people were abused, but it didn't, it didn't really affect me. And I, when she told me, I, I thought it was going to be something like she had cancer or something, you know. And, and, but she says, you know, I've been, I was sexually abused. And I said, okay, that's fine. Um, 
I didn't find out until three or four weeks into our marriage the effect of sexual abuse on our victims. I'm an emotional guy, so if hopefully we can get through this. But I wanted to understand it. I wanted to know what it is that triggers individuals to completely forget about the importance of relationships, of what love is, and what respect is. I wanted to understand, because I couldn't understand how someone could get to the point in their lives where those things did not matter anymore. All that mattered was pure lust. All that mattered was satisfying my sexual needs. So I went into this field with my wife as my motivation. When we talk about social media, and we look at the effects of social media on our children, on ourselves, I was pre-internet and post-internet with investigations and work in criminal justice with respect to sexual deviancy. And I can tell you that we are on a steamroller of continued problems. I was talking with a friend of mine who, uh, since I retired, he's, he's been a, a dear friend of mine for many years, for 20 plus years. And he's still currently working in sex crimes investigation with the FBI. And I asked him the other day, I said, I'm speaking to a group in Portland, and I wanted a, a recent statistic that you could throw at me that I could share. And I said, what are we looking at with respect to internet pornographic websites that we aren't looking at, or the, the difference between now and, say, five years ago? He says, well, five years ago, we were tracking anywhere between five and 7,000 websites a day being added to the internet on pornography. And he says now we're in the 10 to 15,000 a day. 10 to 15,000 websites a day. A lot of these websites are embedded with child pornography that a lot of people who view these websites do not realize they're viewing child porn. They embed these pictures in these websites and trick you into thinking that it's an adult website and it's not. There are child porn pictures on there. And this is the way that the, the uh, pornography industry, especially child porn, is continuing to flood the internet. Can we stop it? No. Can we affect our own personal lives with it? Absolutely. I've worked with many individuals who have been able to overcome their problem of pornography. When I was working at the prison in Utah, these inmates could put up pictures in their cells of pornography. These guys would put up posters. I remember walking past this guy that I knew was a sex offender, and he had these pornographic posters that he had ordered on, he'd, through the magazines. They could keep the magazines in their cells, and these inmates could put this up. Well, I was telling my wife and shared with my wife after watching a movie and realizing that I was becoming desensitized to it, that it wasn't a big deal. To have my wife 
point out to me, after what she had been through, of the effect. I changed, I, I changed my attitude very quickly. Though I was not, I do not consider myself an addict, I just didn't care. If we was, were watching an R-rated movie and a picture came up or a scene came up, okay. It didn't bother me. And here I was working in the field. Carol was my motivation. When we look at what Facebook does, just to give you an example, Facebook users disclose way too much information. As I continued my conversation with my friend, he was telling me, he says, LeBar, he goes, you know this as well as I do, that these kids and adults, right now, Facebook is tracking that the biggest increase of users is between the ages of 30 and 55. It's not the kids anymore. The adults are taking over with the use of Facebook. And these adults are using Facebook to contact old friends. What the problem is, is they're contacting old girlfriends, boyfriends. They're sharing their emotions with them. They're going to private messages. And they're adding all, they're telling people all about their lives. The bigger problem is that 30% of Facebook is false identifications on Facebook. That's not the person you're talking to. It's a pedophile. It's a sexual offender trying to contact children. And I'm going to share some things with you on that. We do not take adequate steps to protect. I, as a parent, Carol and I, we've had conversation after conversation with our children, and we're still not doing enough. Sometimes I feel like I wish I could just take these devices and throw them out the window. I guess 30 years of dealing with this is affecting me today for some reason, but third parties are a real concern on Facebook. Be very careful. Know every kid on your child's Facebook, or at least know that they're a real person. If you don't know who that person is, and they can't tell you who that person is, that person is deleted from their Facebook. Because I can tell you that the chances are almost 50% of those guys are predators on, the, on Facebook. Just these figures may be a little bit staggering. 1.3 billion people are on Facebook. Total minutes of Facebook each month, 640 million. Facebook users that log on every day, 48%. 50% of those that are on, uh, that have Facebook pages. So, uh, you know, close to almost 700 million people are on Facebook every day. YouTube. YouTube content scanned every day, 400 years of video every day. Videos watched each month on YouTube, six, six billion hours. Videos uploaded every minute, 100 hours. There was a, a gentleman that I had on my caseload, and I said, sir, how long do you spend each day on the internet? And he said, I get up in the morning at 7 o'clock after I went to bed at 6 o'clock. 
I sleep for one hour a day. The rest of the time, I'm on the internet. And I said, how's that physically possible? And he said, it's easy. I eat. He says, the bathroom, as you can see, is right by my computer. I can go in and go to the bathroom and continue looking at whatever I'm looking at on the internet. His whole life is consumed by, by the internet. They did a survey for some college uh, students. And we want to talk about social media addiction. Here's what uh, this one student said. Anxious, jittery, antsy, miserable. Texting my friends gives me the constant feeling of comfort. As you watch, if kids get very, watch this if kids get nervous. If your kids get nervous in a conversation, they'll pull out their cell phone and start looking at their cell phone so that they don't have to communicate. So, because if I'm looking at my phone, I'm busy doing something. Kids have, are now, and adults, are to the point where if I get uncomfortable, it's very easy. I was sitting at the, Carol and I were at the airport on Thursday, and I was sitting, there, we were sitting there waiting for a plane, and I looked out. I would say that 80 to 85% of those sitting there waiting for the plane were on their cell phones. And they weren't talking. They were on the internet. The internet is easy to access. You know, I'm not reading a lot of quotes, but this one I will read. When I did not have those two luxuries, her telephone and the computer, I felt quite alone and secluded from my life. Although I got to school with thousands of students, the fact that I was not able to communicate with anyone via technology was almost unbearable. I have to tell you that I'm somewhat an addict as well. I lost my phone a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, what am I going to do? i, I got to have a phone. So I went down and bought a new phone, even though I'd, a week ago bought another one, so I could have my phone. We're all somewhat internet addicts. We've got to be careful about that. This first video I'm going to show you, it's just a three-minute video, and then um, I'm going to, and then we'll talk about it. Oops. Hi, I'm Jack Vale, and I wanted to see how easy it would be to get personal information from complete strangers. And while I'm at it, of course, freak them out a little bit. Keep in mind, when you watch this video, I got all of this information just by searching their personal social media posts. And I got it by searching for the closest Twitter, Instagram, and other social media posts to my current location. Let's go. Sorry to bother you. Are you? Is your name Jessica? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm 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 Jack. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet Hi. you. How are you? Good. How do you call that's my name. Ashley. Whenever it comes to me and I know who it is, okay. I know it's weird, but I I have to shout it out to see if I'm right. And in that case, I was right. So. What the? F right now? Wait a minute. Are you Stephanie? How do you know me? How you doing? I'm Jack. Did you just make that up and you said that? No, Al Elena, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say happy birthday. Someone in your family's referred to as Pops. Is it like a dad or a grandpa or something? Oh, you were tripping me out right now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday. Hi, happy birthday to you too, because I know you were actually, I should have said it to you because yours How was you before hers. Birthdays? But anyway, well, it's been like seven weeks now or something like that. But anyway, good to see Bye. you guys. See you later. Uh, like a little white curly dog, sort of like a little white dog. Stop it. That's creepy. 
Do you have a doll? Paris. <laughs> I don't know Paris. Wait. It wasn't Paris though, it was like the first few letters, like <laughs> pear or par or something like that. Am I right? I don't know. I didn't know she had a dog. Seriously? I swear to God. Blanca or Blanca? Is that how did I? Blanca. It's what? Blanca. 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 Okay. Is that your mom? How do you know Bear. I feel like or something like Who are like. You? I call Paris Bear Bear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Recently, like had lunch, dinner, or something like that. Chicken. There was chicken involved. I know for sure. <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> I know. I know. Nickel. Nickel, nickel, Nikki? You're kidding me. Am, is it right? Yeah. <laughs> see, see what I mean? Yeah. You're kidding me. Yeah. You would trip me out. Who's who's like Richard? I keep thinking Richard. <laughs> what is it? What is it? What is it? Richard Parker. Richard Parker, like Peter Parker, because I had a Spider-Man. I had a Spider-Man flashback. Your last name starts with a K. Crow, 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 something like that. Who told you to do this? Because that's a lie. Did you leave your license somewhere? Seriously, did you drop it? There's some business that you're in, some kind of a business that has to do with self, cell company or phone company or something like that. Yes? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is it AT&T? What the is that? AT&T, yeah. Let me see what else I can find out from your Instagram. So this is a social media experiment. Oh. There's video cameras. <laughs> Through that picture, we were able to find out all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's just. Oh no, it was just a, it was just a little prank, a hidden camera prank. You're welcome. See you later. <laughs> so my name is Jack Vale. Hi, Jack. So I use social media all the time, and this experiment has definitely made me think a little differently about it, but I want to know what you guys think. Does it creep you out that a stranger can get this information about you, or no big deal? Let me know what you think in the comments below. See you later. So here is, here's an individual who did an experiment, and he went into an, a location area where people had their GPS locator on their phone on, and he was able to identify them by just walking around and saying, all right, this is Lisa. And he goes over and he talks to Lisa and said, can you tell me about this? You, you saw what happened. This is what predators are doing. I promise you. I've seen it. I've talked to them. I've spent hours talking to them. This is what our predators are doing. They got all of this technology in their hands now, and they know what they can do. They are much smarter than a lot of us with respect to what they can do with the internet. And these guys will tell me all the time, he said, you know what, one guy told me, he said, you know, Mr. McBride, he said, the problem is, is that people don't care. But they don't care. He said, I can tell you that one of the girls I assaulted was at a, at a uh, movie theater. And she was texting her friends and putting on on her, uh, or putting on uh, Facebook, meet me down at the, you know, Regal Theater at seven o'clock, and let's go to the movie. I'll see you at seven. I'll be standing outside by this place. Well, he went down and he met her before her friend, and he assaulted her. That happened in Illinois. These things are happening all around us, folks, and we really 
need to wake up. We need these social networks. I agree. I am not, uh, I'm not against it. I have a Facebook page. But we have got to be careful of what we post, of how we use Facebook, because most of you, I would assume, have a, par a partner. Most of you have someone that you love and trust. Think about that every time you get on the Internet. I put a picture of, the, of Christ and I put my family, whenever I travel, I have those pictures with me. Whenever I'm anywhere, I have those pictures with me. Those are my reminders of really, when I get on there, what's my motivation for staying away from that kind of stuff? What is my motivation? It is my wife. It is my children. Photographs are extremely dangerous. There are websites that allow users to go and look up your private pictures. These people can infiltrate your Facebook page even though you're on a private setting. They will infiltrate your Facebook page and they will pull your pictures off and they will do some very bizarre things with your pictures. No pictures are safe on Facebook, Twitter, or blogging. A lot of these blogs, I would stay completely away from from pictorial blogs that have anything to do with pornography. Because these blogs are flooded with child porn. Because they can put it on there and no one is, they say you have to be 18 to put this on there. These kids are not 18 that are putting these pictures. Again, this is another statistic from my friend with the FBI. He said, we're going to these Facebook, or these uh, blogs, and we're yanking child porn off there all the time. And then we access how to get a hold of these people that are putting these photographs on there. And we're going to their, their camera or their houses. You know, we can now get, we can collect and, and put on immense amount of data. I have this little device, that size, one terabyte of information on that. These guys are putting three and four terabytes and they're completely flooded with child porn. When I would do my investigations pre-internet, we got one guy, we had 80,000 pictures that this guy had collected. 80,000 pictures over a 20 year period of time and he was a photographer in Bountiful, Utah. And he had all these pictures that he was taking of little children. He would tell the parents, he'd say, when you, uh, I can't get a good picture of your child unless you're, these are babies, unless you're out of the room. So my, your, your child will respond much better if you're out of the room. The parents would leave the room, he'd shut the door, and he would undress them and take pornographic pictures of children. Be very careful about what pictures you post. This is the kind of thing, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that slide, but you can see that this is what we're advertising for cologne. A bunch of men standing out around a woman who's, who's being assaulted. What messages are we as a society sending our children? This is in a, in a, in a popular magazine. Right in my own little town of Beaver, Pennsylvania, there was a gentleman that went to the Facebook and he pulled a bunch of pictures 
from Facebook pages, and he put them on another Facebook page, and then he would put captions with these pictures of these young girls at 13 years old, was the youngest, about how they would do things for you. If you want a good time, call her. She will give you a good time. And the, the police, a friend of mine who's a detective at, in Beaver County, he was telling me about the investigation on this, and he said, LeVar, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't even track all of this that's going on. He says, it brings chills to my spine, the children that are being exposed by these senseless acts of sexual deviance. These photos were pulled by those predators off of girls' Facebook pages, all from privacy status. This is a picture that was uh, given to me, actually, by um, a, uh, someone who is uh, a niece of mine. And I told her I was going to use this picture. This is a picture she posted on her Facebook. I'm going to show you this, uh, this other clip now, and this is a clip about the effect of, that it's having on our kids and on us with respect to the social media and uh, these predators. Police reports of a sexual predator targeting students on social media have raised new questions and new concerns about student safety. School officials at a number of Baltimore area private schools have sent warning letters to parents. 11 News reporter Kai Reed joins us live from the newsroom. Kai. Well, Donna, Baltimore County police say their investigation involves two victims from St. Paul's School for Girls, but school officials say there could be more than 50 victims. The letters were meant to inform parents, but a local child abuse safety advocate says it's also a call to act. According to Baltimore County Police, the teenage victim's communication with the suspect started with Facebook friend requests and eventually led to sexually explicit video chats. Details that may be shocking to some parents, but still a growing reality, according to Baltimore Child Abuse Center Executive Director Adam Rosenberg. There's always going to be a new platform, a new playground, a new area that, that children and people are going to be interacting, whether it's virtual or whether it's real. And I think it's our responsibility just to know what those playgrounds are and to familiarize ourselves with those platforms. Platforms that go way beyond just Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Texting and photo sharing cell phone apps have made parents' job of keeping up with students' social media activity even more complicated. A Washington, D.C. area man was sentenced in June for the murder of a teen that he met on the cell phone app Tagged. Apps like Snapchat, Tagged, and Kick allow users to text each other over the Internet. Such apps can be easy to hide with little or no record of the conversation. Regardless of the social media platform, Rosenberg insists that open communication is key. Have a conversation with our children about what are the rules and the boundaries and the parameters of each of those, those spaces that they're in. And maybe once in a while, we do need to take a, take a walk through, through their phones or through their computers. And as long as there are children, I think they do need to understand that we have the, the authority and the responsibility to then occasionally take a look at their phone and their computer. Even if they don't like it, it's our job to do it. Parents should be friends with their children on social media, and children should never be friends with strangers, Rosenberg says. In letters sent home to parents in the Baltimore County case, school officials said the suspect used screen names like J.P. Smith, Brian Pond, J.P.L. 42, or Matlax. 
One letter said the person contacted more than 50 students. Online exploitation of children can be just as serious and detrimental to children as, as, a, as a physical act of abuse, particularly when there's an enticement going on or when there are naked photos being shared back and forth over the Internet. Um, that's the exploitation of a child. And so Baltimore County police say that they're trying to determine who the suspect is. There is no evidence at this point that the person has attempted to meet any of the students in person. Reporting live in the newsroom, Kai Reed, WBAL TV 11 News. So you can see that there's a lot of, of individuals that are, like I said, sitting there and they're figuring out what's the best way for me to contact kids. Some of it is not, uh, again, like he was saying, uh, they're not actually necessarily abusing them, but they're enticing them to take photographs of themselves, and then they'll send them photographs of themselves. And so they're swapping photographs, internet, uh, pornography uh, photographs of each other with minors, which makes it child pornography. Another case in Beaver, this is a recent case uh, just within the last few weeks. Um, there was an individual who was promoting prostitution uh, by using minors and what he would do is he would contact these minors and he would start a relationship with them and then ask them if they would like to do things. Well this young lady uh, did not give in to his, his tactics and, but he basically wanted to have sex with this young girl and she messaged him back saying don't contact me anymore and she contact or let her grandmother know and after obtaining a search warrant, they found things that made, and I talked to the investigator on this, and he's, and he's the one that said, LeVar, I can't, I can't even keep track of all of this. The great thing is, folks, is that you have the ability to control or do the best that you can to control what's happening with your children. Teach them responsibility. Don't yank, you know, like I said earlier, don't yank these out of their hands. Don't put you know, so many restrictions on them that they begin to do secretly doing things. Work with them. Help them. Help them know that, you know, we've got to embrace this technology because it's not going away. But how can we use it in, a, in an appropriate way? Teach your children appropriate use. And I promise you, if you do this on a regular basis, and it's not just Oh my gosh, I went to this conference. We got to all sit down and do our phones. And then six months later, you forget about it. No, this is something you do not forget about. It is something you start today and you don't stop. It's constant. Texting. Every day, the average per month, 2,272 texts per individual per month. Doctors say it's leading to anxiety, distraction in school, failing grades, uh, repetitive stress injuries, sleep deprivation. All of these things are being caused by these kids and, and technology. Last year, it was introduced into our school that we would no longer have textbooks coming home. That, I guess one good thing is we wouldn't have to pay all those textbook fees at the end of the year. But now they're giving them all iPads. So every student in the school has iPads. And these kids are, um, my son was telling me that he sits in the back of the room and he said that during lectures, kids are playing games, they're surfing the internet, they're doing all these things while the, the teachers are speaking and why they're being taught. 
Now, in the next few years, we'll see how it's affecting grades with this introduction of this type of technology. But these kids are going home, and my wife and I battle this every day. We battle every day, these kids just wanting to spend time on their looking at, uh, we, my kids love wimp.com, which is a bunch of videos. We've screened it pretty good, and there's really no pornographic or even really uh, you know, explicit type photographs. But the fact is, is that it's just something, oh, Dad, it's not a big deal, it's wimp.com. That's not my, really my concern. My concern is that it's just sucking their time and that they're not communicating with each other. My, my son, he calls up this, or he's texting this girl. I says, what are you doing? He says, I'm just making a date for next week. I says, why don't you call her up? And he goes, Dad, you don't do that anymore. You just text. That's a real concern. 2011, 8 trillion texts were sent by mobile devices. 8 trillion. Sexting. Sexting is a huge problem. 22% of teens and 20% of teen boys are sending these nude or semi-nude photographs. 22% of teens admit that this technology is giving them a lot more freedom and helping them to, and making them actually more uh, forward with individuals and more aggressive. So it's, it's like, I can send a Snapchat photo and it's gone in 10 seconds. So they take the risk. What's the risk? I love this ad that Australia did, and it shows a girl walking out of the bathroom, and she's buttoning up her blouse, and she has her phone, and she texts in her pocket and has a smile on her face. You know what she was doing in the bathroom. She goes in and sits down in the classroom. Her boyfriend up in the front of the class gets his picture, and he looks at it, looks around, forward to another kid, and the video shows how it, it gets spread very quickly and it ended up in the teacher's cell phone. <laughs> and then the teacher just looks up, and it wasn't a, it was a, what are you doing? And it's tragic what's happening out there. Bill was a young man that I met. Bill was very active um, in sports. He was a senior. He was getting ready to graduate. He, was, he had plans for college uh, to serve for his, his religion uh, on, a, on a mission. He, this kid was ready to go in life. His girlfriend broke up with him. Another kid said, hey, you know what you ought to do? You ought to you know, send around uh, you know, a picture of her. And, and he says, yeah, that's a good idea. So this kid took a, her picture, went to Photoshop, took her, her face, and took that face and put it on a pornographic image. And then he sent it on his phone to some of his friends and said, see the picture I got of my girlfriend before I broke up with her. The problem is, is that he accidentally hit it to his entire phone list. So that picture went to his minister. It went to the girl's parents. It went to his father's friend who's a law enforcement officer. It went to 475 people. This young man was arrested. He was taken to a federal court. Federal court has mandatory sentencing on sex offenders. This young man, 18 years old, goes to prison for four years. Goes to prison for four years and he comes out and he's sitting there with me 
and he says, what do I have to look forward to in my life? I've completely thrown my life away. It's destroying lives, and, and we, need to, we need to communicate, communicate, communicate with our kids. I'm going into another area that is a very deep concern of mine, and that's what we call, I call the Russian roulette, the pornography being the Russian roulette to sexual abuse and deviancy. My wife's abuser was active in pornography. It started with pornography. I'm not going to play this because it's too long and I have several things I still want to share with you, but this is a, you can go on the internet and you can watch this. This is Ted Bundy's um, interview he did prior to his execution, and he talks about uh, pornography. I am going to play, you know what, I, I want to play just a brief part of it, but I want you to listen to Ted Bundy and his interview with James Dobson, who is Focus on the Family, wonderful man. Uh, I met him in Colorado. He's very motivated about this issue. Uh, and this was his interview with Ted Bundy 24 hours before his execution. My experience with, I say pornography generally, but with pornography that deals on a violent level with the sexuality, um, is that once you become addicted to it, and I look at this as a kind of addiction, like an addiction, you keep craving something which is harder, harder, something which, which gives you a greater uh, sense of, of, of excitement, until you reach the point where the pornography only goes so far. You reach that jumping off point where you begin to wonder if, if maybe actually doing it will give you that which is beyond just reading about it or looking at it. So you can hear that Ted Bundy says that the pornography to many individuals only goes so far. And then they're, they're seeking more and more. And Ted Bundy goes on in this, he did, it's a 30 minute interview if you want to watch it. It's, pretty, it's a pretty powerful statement. And a lot of people say, well, not everybody that looks at pornography becomes a sexual addict or a sexual deviant. And I agree 100%. I'm not here to say that people with pornographic addictions become sexual deviants and become Ted Bundys. But what I'm saying to you is that it is Russian roulette. You don't know if you're one of those individuals that it completely enslaves and to the point where you need more and more. That is my concern, that we don't want to even go there. We don't want to even toy with that, that potential for there being a problem. One guy said to me, he goes, I don't understand the addiction part of it. And I said to him, I said, do you understand alcoholism? And he goes, yeah. He says, I got several alcoholics in my family. I said, how about tonight you take all those alcoholics and you take them to a bar? Is that where they should be? Oh, no, no, I'm not going to take them there. There's too much temptation. And I said, that's my point. We stay away from the temptation. We have to. We have to stay away. Sex offending and pornography. Every sex offender I ever dealt with, and I've dealt with hundreds of them, Without question, pornography was one of their catapults. 
It facilitates the molestation. It also demonstrates to the victims. These, these pornographers, or these people that are abusers, will take that pornography to uh, lessen the inhibitions of a child and to see what their response is to the photographs. I went into one guy who was on a, it's actually, it was a burglary charge, and, um, or excuse me, drugs, because I did drugs and sex offenders. And I went into this guy's house, and it was a simple possession of marijuana. And I went in his house, and as my partner and I were going through the house and checking it out, I looked at his video library, and this was pre-internet. I looked at his video library, and here's, you know, Aladdin and all these Disney movies. And then right next to that was about 300 pornographic videotapes. And I said, sir, I said, uh, why do you have these out here like this? And he goes, what? our children need to be uh, educated. I slapped the handcuffs on him. I said, You're, it's not drugs anymore. You're now being arrested for you know, pornographic material to a minor. As I interviewed these young girls where whose children were, we found out of the, 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 he had six children, four daughters. All four daughters were currently being sexually assaulted by this guy. So I sat down with the girls and I was talking to him and I said, how did this all start? And they said, our dad would invite us in to sit down and watch these videos and say, you like this, don't you? You like this. And she's, these, all these girls said, we started to believe him. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. It's a, it's a form of the Stockholm, in that you love this person, and you love what they're doing, and you agree to it. And these girls started to, to actively involve themselves in sexual behavior with their father. And it all started with the viewing of pornographic material. A typical sex offender, there is no typical sex offender. Sex offenders are heterogeneous, meaning they could be anyone. A lot of people say, my wife will excuse me, sometimes I'll be sitting in an in a, uh, airport or somewhere and I'll say, I think that guy's a sex offender. She goes, how do you know that? And I said, just like a doctor knows when he goes in and the patient starts talking about their issues and he says, oh, it's this issue. I mean, I said, sometimes I feel that way. I said, and, and she goes, really? You're going to judge people like that? <laughs> She's right. It's just part of my psyche of doing that because I'm always in fear of somebody that when I see a child, and my wife can attest to this too, when she sees a child in a particular state, she says, there might be something going on with that young person. So the bottom line is there is no, there's no way for you to look at an individual and say that person is a sex offender. What are the ages? Ages in different ages. I've seen sex offenders as young, and when we say sex offender, involved in sexual behavior with a uh, unwilling uh, victim. Um, the youngest I have dealt with is nine years old, abusing a baby. Uh, it, it, if they see it, if they hear it, if they you know, got introduced to it by their offender, there's a lot of ways that's introduced to these young people's lives. The oldest I've seen is 82 years old. 
It's all walks of life. There's no age restriction on sexual uh, offenders. Social economic status, all walks of life. I've dealt with doctors, I've dealt with dentists, I've dealt with construction workers, I've dealt with Kmart employees and Walmart employees. I've dealt with every walk of life, every socioeconomic status. Mental health, is mental health an issue? Absolutely. There are some of these individuals that do have some mental health issues that need to be addressed and that's the concern, is we have got to identify these individuals and we pray every day that we can catch them before they start their behavior so that we can assist them and help them because I want them to be healthy people in our society. We can't just lock them all up and throw the key away. These are fathers, these are sons, these are daughters, these are important people in some people's lives. They are human beings. They deserve our respect. And that respect comes from our ability to assist them and not to and to help them by setting boundaries with them, helping them to be accountable. That's what our goal is. Some of the factors of identifiable factors, uh, deviant sexual arousal and interest, they were somewhere down the line introduced to some type of deviant behavior through pornographic material or somebody teaching them. Cognitive distortions, this is love. I'm showing love to my, I had one little young victim, eight years old, she says, Mr. McBride, my dad loves me. He's never hurt me. Whatever he's done to me makes me feel good. How can you contest a little child that that's all they know? And to try to explain it, to help this young lady understand what abuse is, we got her into some counseling ASAP to help her through that emotional trauma that she was going to experience at some point after the realization of what her father had been doing. Social interpersonal and intimacy deficits. Victim empathy deficits. Like I shared with you at the very beginning, a lot of these people put aside any feelings for victims. One young man that I was speaking to, I said, the victim's parents want to know why? Why you did this to their daughter? And he just looked at me and melted into his chair and sobbed. And he looked up to me and he says, I just realized I abused a daughter. He had completely blocked out that this was a human being. This was an object to him. And when I asked about his social history and his sexual history, Pornography. Poor self-management skills. One of my big issues with, uh, going back to the victim empathy, I wanted to make one more point, that these guys oftentimes tell me that pornography, and you're going to hear this probably again today, that pornography just lessens their emotional feelings towards a female, that she is literally just an object, that I'm viewing these objects that are, that are uh, giving me uh, fantasies and helping me. A lot of times you'll hear from uh, some sex therapist that pornography is good for, for your relationship. 
and that you can use that to increase your intimacy. That is, that is, in my opinion, incorrect because of the things that I have seen in my career. Poor self-management and history of maltreatment themselves. Many of these individuals have had horrible backgrounds and nobody's ever known about it. It used to be the family secret. Nobody talked about it. We can't do that any longer. After 31 years, my wife is still dealing with this. And she'll deal with it the rest of her life, but I will not leave her side. We can't leave the victim's side, and we cannot leave the offender. These offenders need our support. They need our love. They need our confidence that they can learn to control their problem. We can no longer look at these individuals as monsters, as people that cannot be helped, because they can. Do we have places for those that resist it? Yes. But these individuals can. Pedophilia is a, an issue that I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Most of you understand. It is a, uh, when we talk about it, it's actually in the DSM 4 and 5 that talks about an actual uh, problem with these individuals, that it's a, it's, a bio, it's, it's, it's a biological issue that some of these people have these. I'm not the doctor. We have Dr. Hilton here to explain some of that. But I can tell you that these individuals, it's embedded in their thoughts and in their minds of pedophilia, which is that they have, have sexual feelings towards prepubescent individuals children. There's an organization out there that's very active and they're called NAMBLA. It's the North American Men Boys Love Association. These people actively share that sex before eight or it's too late. These individuals are on the internet. They have a website. I uh, strongly recommend that you do not spend time on this website, that it's actively being sought by the FBI every day and they look at who's going on this website. But there are websites all over the place like that. But this is one organization that actively talks about this, that it's okay. The victims in these cases, a lot of the victims, and I'm gonna be discussing this in our breakout with my wife, the self-blame, the humiliation, the loss of effect and numb response, the fact that these young people their inhibitions go out the window. They become very promiscuous. They become involved in pornographic material themselves. Or they just don't care. We started a national program in Washington, D.C. for female offenders, and it was a program to help women that were sexually abused as children who now were drug addicts and in the criminal justice system. We found that if we could get these women help and help them to understand that this was not their fault, that they could release this pain, that they didn't have to numb this pain with drugs. Lives were, are changing every day because we are helping them to know of their individual worth. We have to help them understand that they are worth saving, that they are worth being a wife, a mother, 
We can no longer allow the, these women to feel that it was partly my fault. They're reluctant to report because their father or whoever figure that abused them said, don't tell anyone or daddy's going to jail. You don't want to do that to your dad, do you? And these sweet, innocent little girls and boys are being bombarded with that emotional weight of turning their father in and and their father going to prison. The nightmares, the flashbacks. Carol last week had another nightmare. 31 years of marriage. 34 years since her last, or 33 years since her last, or 30, just before we got married was the last time he abused her. Anger. There's a lot of emotion. Every emotion that a victim survivor feels is normal. There is nothing abnormal about how they feel. Each individual is, is, is distinct and separate in the way they deal with it. And we need to honor and respect all that they have to say. One of the things that I always do with victim survivors, I work with death penalty uh, cases, with the, the victims in death penalty cases where their loved ones have been murdered, and also in these sexual abuse cases. And without question, every one of them question, where is the humanity in our world? It starts with each one of you. You are responsible for humanity. You are responsible for what happens in your home. You are responsible for what happens to you personally when you're alone in a hotel room. You are responsible. The three major needs of victims, they need to feel safe. They need to express themselves. They need to know that, that they need to know what comes next after they're victimized. Perpetrators will try to take away their ability to feel safe. That is their control. If I can help them to not feel safe unless I'm around, that's my goal. I have to give, keep them in that little trance that they are safe with me. I spoke a lot about darkness. Now I want to just help the sun to rise a little bit. Our best defense is each other. Our best defense is to not hide. Our best defense is to look each other in the eye and say, I do love you, and I'm here for you, and we will get through this together. How do we stop abuse? We can't stop the offender, but what we can do is we can build each other up. Teach our children it's okay to tell. Look for signs that your children's behavior has changed. Ask them questions and keep asking them till you can get them to talk and share. Question, question, question. Trust and believe them. If they tell you they've been abused, believe them. If, if they're not sure if it's abuse, believe them and help them through it. Give them time to talk. Listen to the hidden and difficult areas to detect. They may say something to you, 
and you just brush it off. Such as, why does my teacher always say I have a nice body? And they say it two or three times to you over a period of several months. You ought to be asking that child some questions. Know where your children are. This is the part where I enjoy cell phones. I like to know that I can call and talk to my son and know he's okay. My wife and I were very strict because of, because of her request and because of what I've seen. We did not allow sleepovers. 80% of sexual abuse that occurs, occurs with somebody that the victim knows. We have to be vigilant with our children. We have to be vigilant in our families. Make it known. My brothers knew my children do not stay at your, uh, your house, not because I don't trust you, it's because I want to know my children are safe. And if they're in my home, I know they're safe. And some people say, well, you're real paranoid. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Social media, how do we protect our computers? And this will be, and I'll just conclude with this slide. Put, my, put your family computers in places where it's all there. Our computer in our home, the only computer, desktop computer in our home, is in our dining room. The room that seems to be used mostly for homework and stuff, but that's where our computer is. Our children are not allowed to have computers in their rooms. At night when they charge them, we have a charging station outside their rooms. And, that's where, and it's right by my bedroom, so I can make sure before I go to bed that those are there. And I sometimes will move it in such a way so I know that if I sleep and that's been moved, I know that my child moved that thing and that he probably got on it. And then I'll check his device and I'll see if he was texting, texting someone. You have your little tricks. And it's not you're trying to be overprotective or a bad parent. You're just concerned about your children and they need to know that. Communicate that with them. Let them know what their expectation is. I love this. This is about personal accountability. I read and walk for miles at night along the beach, writing bad blank verse and searching endlessly for someone wonderful who would step out of the darkness and change my life. It never crossed my mind that that person could be me. It's up to each one of you to change your lives. It's up to each one of us to reach out and touch somebody's life and help them to know that I will not give up on you. I will help you through this and we will succeed. I know that we can succeed. I know that we can combat these evils that are out there. We combat it every day and I am so grateful for a spouse that supports me. She is She's everything to me. And I will not let her down. Thank you. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.